Greetings, glorious beings. I'm Paulette, your host of Thriving in Chaos, the podcast. I'm thrilled to introduce you to sparkling examples of inspiring, powerful, wise, and trailblazing women. I've curated experts in their fields to help us all listen, learn, and grow towards all the possibilities of living your best life. As a certified divorce coach, I regularly witness a range of deep emotions. What those emotions have taught me is all we really need to support our sisters is to share our knowledge and loving kindness. Please subscribe and thank you for sharing the love by tuning in. Now let's thrive in the chaos. Welcome to Thriving in Chaos, the podcast. I'm your host, Paulette. Today, I welcome Barbara Bell. She is an expert in finance and divorce, two things near and dear to my heart. And if you or anyone you know is suffering, preparing, surviving, or trying to get their shit together after divorce, this is the podcast you need to listen to or share with a loved one or friend. So I had the lucky fortune of attending the National Association of Divorce Professionals first training certification for their brand of what they call a certified divorce specialist in just outside Fort Lauderdale in October. There were, I want to say 30, 40 of us there. It was pretty cool, groundbreaking. And one of the participants sat next to me and I immediately just bonded with her because of her, her wit, her grace, her education, her personality, and really just her truth about her story and how she created a business that really empowers people to get their finances together and survive the divorce process financially better. So welcome to the show, Barbara. Why, thank you so much for having me here, Paulette. Well, I want to start. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, you know, kind of started this podcast a little bit as a, as a dare of, a, not I dared somebody, but somebody else dared me. Um, they said, <laughs> you know, no, it's pretty funny how it happened organically. Like I had a education where I went to college for journalism and broadcasting and media and marketing and all that and never did anything with it. I ended up running a performing arts studio for years and, you know, got married and did the kid thing and then started a registered yoga school. And before I knew it, I was living in Belize, hanging upside down from a piece of fabric and realized like I have been <laughs> Yeah, I know it's kind of weird. Um, I realized I've been coaching people through divorce all that time since I myself personally, you know, went through an eight and a half year trial and litigant process all the way to appellant process. And, you know, when you go through that, a lot of people just immediately reach out to you when they are forced or um, contemplating divorce themselves. So, what did you do? How did you do it? How did you survive it? Oh my God, I need help. Can you give me some resources? So I was doing it unprofessionally or, you know, just sort of organically. Right. And then went mm-hmm. ahead and did a lot of training and really learned the business as well as the structure. And of course it's different in every state. Um, did my registered certification for mediation here in Georgia, which of course is different in most states. Um, and as well as, as creating a business. But I found that the, my greatest gift is being able to create resources that other people need, like certified divorce financial 
advisors and planners like yourself. So I really wanted to start with your story. So maybe you start with how you got to do what you're doing. I know it's fascinating. I want to hear about it. Well, it's, it's kind of a, a long story that I will make short. Um, I grew up in a, uh, a broken family. So my parents got divorced at seven years old and my siblings were much older than me. They were six years, eight years and nine years older. And it affected me completely different than it affected them. Um, I was, I kind of left it unscathed as where they really had a hard time with it. Um, so I moved with my mother away from my father and, you know, since I was eight, she was like, you're going to college, you're going to college, figure it out. And I was an artist. So I went to school for architecture. So that was my main degree. And, you know, I didn't, I loved the artistic side. I loved the math sides, which is kind of both sides of your brain. So I just kind of went with it, but I didn't love, love it. Um, but I just, you know, what else was I going to do? And so I put myself through five, six years of college and did everything I had to do to get that degree. Uh, I was married at the time in 08 when the crash happened. Uh, I was working for an architectural firm in Philadelphia and my husband was in mortgage. Uh, so he knew he saw the writing on the wall on what was about to happen and uh he and i were about to move to manhattan and i didn't want to go philly was already too fast for me manhattan was not where i wanted to go as newlyweds and raise the family and whatnot so i had designed a library in costa rica in a study abroad that i did so I asked my husband, like, before we move to Manhattan and you start a new job, can we go down there and see this school that I built? I had a friend that lived down there. That school? Tell me about you built a school in Costa Rica. It was. So I went to a study abroad and I went to a school down there. Uh, got and it. we designed, yeah, we designed a library for the school that had since been built. So I kept saying, like, let's go down there and check it out. My girlfriend lives down there. We'll stay with her. Let's just get a vacation before we move to Manhattan because, you know, the sky is falling and God, I didn't want to be in Manhattan. So I, I love the city. I love to visit, but living there just seems difficult for me personally. So it's not for everybody. We, Good for you. For yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so we went down on vacation. I fell in love. Um, it was a, a definitely more of a worldly market down there. It wasn't slowing down like we were seeing in the U S. Um, so I kind of told my husband, I think I'm going to move here instead of Manhattan and you go and figure out Manhattan and see what happens with the economy. And I'm going to stay down here and I'm going to start my own business and I'm gonna do architecture and interior design down here. And my husband thought I was crazy, but I think he saw how serious I was about it. 
so we we got back from vacation on Saturday. He was supposed to start his job on Monday, and he called his boss and said, I can't start. We're going to move to Costa Rica. So I couldn't believe he was coming with me. So we went down there and started our own company, and I ended up uh, with my husband doing the financial end of the company. Did that for about two years. I loved being my own boss. I loved managing the money and doing the taxes and figuring out how another country worked and everything that went with that. And after about two years, the economy in like 2010, I would say 2009, 2010, it trickled down there. So it became a bigger world market or world crisis. And a lot of my clients could no longer afford to furnish houses and you know, their investment properties and whatnot. So they asked if they could call me later. And I was like, all right, well, I'm probably going to go home. But so, uh, so we did, and we moved home. And I worked in an architectural firm for somebody again, I knew I couldn't do it. It wasn't where my heart was anymore. When I was down in Costa Rica, I started my journey of yoga and meditation and when I moved home, it just didn't feel right anymore. Mm-hmm. I just, I knew I, I knew I had to get out of it. You know, something in my gut told me it, it wasn't right anymore. And I had student loans. I had so much education. I just couldn't believe I was about to leave it, but I was. And uh, I had gotten pregnant. It was planned. My husband and I were ready to start our family. It was 2011. The economy was starting to pick up. He had secured a good job. Uh, and we were in Philadelphia, so we ended up moving to Charlotte because Bank of, Bank of America's headquarters were down here. I ended up um, staying home for six months with my son, and my husband just said, okay, you got to figure out what you're going to do. So I picked up my first financial book. Um, I completely self-educated myself. I sat through life insurance licensing. I got all my, my series six, my 63, my 65. And I knew I wanted to be a financial advisor. I knew I wanted to do advisory and um, I completely self taught myself to do all of that. And I knew I wanted to understand finance and I knew I wanted to take over the whole financial world in my family. And I knew I needed to know what I was doing to do it. So, um, Yeah, so I self-educated myself. I got into an amazing job. I've been there for about seven years, actually a little longer. Uh, I am a financial advisor now. I've learned so much over time. And within the process, over and over again, I kept running into couples that had already divorced. Mm -hmm. And like my mother's divorce, over and over again, it was the wife got screwed and her settlement wasn't equal. She always want the mom always wants the house and the kids and can very, very rarely afford them. And then the guy to get their 50, 50 split takes the assets, which are accumulating. Mm. And, you know, maybe the wife gets alimony and child support is typically pitiful. And, they can't afford the life that they just chose for themselves. Mm. So now husband has the the new life, the new wife, 
the investment, he's fine. And the wife has to eventually sell the house, put the kids through college and whatnot. So what I come in and do holistically for that wife and my favorite place to be is to get hired after the attorneys, after a suggested split has happened and go in for the woman and fight to make sure that that settlement is truly equal, not right now, but 10 years down the road. Mm. So why I had mentioned the architectural background is because I've always been a numbers person and I've always been a planner. I just knew I didn't want to spend my life behind a computer, clicking a mouse, drawing. I needed to be with people mm. and I needed to help them more so than I was doing just building some fancy million dollar house. Mm. So, um, so that's what I do. And I have so much fulfillment for it. And sometimes it can be really hard when I have, um, you know, a woman that's never done anything with their finances. And more and more, I'm seeing these older women who have been married for 30 years and know nothing about finances. And it's hard to educate them. I have to start from ground zero. And what my clients tell me that is the most rewarding is that their old financial advisors kind of spoke above their head. You know, they never really understood what was going on. Nobody ever educated them on why they were making the decisions that they were making. They were leaving the decisions, like they were making the decisions for these women. They weren't saying, I'm going to educate you on your options and I'm going to let you make your own choices. And they weren't getting that from other people. Right. So, you know, giving women the empowerment that they need, it not only makes them empowered and know what they're doing, but it takes away that anxiety and the unknown and the, am I making the right decision? And makes it like, well, this is the best decision that I know to make right now at this time. And as you know, that is everything. Right. And so in other words, your background, your early foundation of, of course, witnessing what you experienced as a kid with what, your, what happened with your mom sort of planted a little bit of a seed. And maybe that stayed with you subconsciously, but you went off to college to really study something you thought you loved with art and architecture, but it didn't really, I don't know, fulfill you. And then you ended up using those skills that you learned with finance and were able to integrate the human connection to the financial connection. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the people, being with people connection. That was my biggest thing I was missing in architecture. Right. Because you're sitting I in an office with a drawing board. Like, I can only imagine how that could be a little bit stifling for somebody like you that's such a people person. Yeah, I mean, and especially just, you know, through the yoga and the meditation that I do, I have so much love to give. And I want to care for people so much. And designing a custom home just wasn't allowing me to do that. <laughs> just wasn't. So, yeah. So, Barbara, I'm going to have you put on your financial 
divorce financial analyst, advisor, consultant hat right now. And you must have this happen, but I get this question all the time and don't always know how to answer it because I don't have your background. And I see it, I witness it, but it's not my forte. But what are the biggest mistakes that women make when they're faced with the event of divorce? Financially, their biggest mistake, um, you know, I would probably say not getting comfortable with their own financial advisor mm -hmm. before the settlement occurs. A lot of time, um, you know, they get the assets from somebody and then they start that connection. Mm -hmm. And there's so just, there's just so much a financial advisor can do once it's done. You know, once the damage is done, they just have to pick up the pieces. But if they can be part of the settlement and help set you up properly from the beginning, uh, I think there's a lot more power there. I got that. I mean, I was fortunate enough to have a financial advisor in a relationship with one before. My, um, although mine took so damn long, it, of course that, you know, that would happen, but yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't find most people have to endure that amount of time, but I, I could see where that would happen, right? They walk in the door and like, okay, I'm divorced. I got, you know, a dollar 50 or, you know, $20 billion or somewhere in the middle. What do I do with it? Right. How do I invest it? How do I, you know, pay my bills? How do I secure, um, accounts for my kids and how do I pay less taxes and et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't have a relationship yeah. with that financial person and if maybe they, their bedside manner, pardon the pun, you know, or <laughs> their, their bedside <laughs> manner is not really conducive to your personality, I could see whether there could be a conflict. Yeah. And more times than not, the tax ramifications of the divorce that happens when they say, oh, here I am. This is what I have. The taxes, that already happened. That's in the past. I can't help lighten the load there. Mm. You know, so um, I have so many people that come to me and say, okay, um, you know, they took care of the quadro 401k and now I'm just ready to roll that into an IRA. Will you be my financial advisor to, to help me? Without my certification in divorce, there have been times before I got that certification that I'm like, okay, let's roll that into an IRA, and then they need money. Well, had I known they needed money before we rolled that, they could have saved a 10% tax penalty. And then, you know, so just that's one example that that happened to me before I was certified that I was like, oh, damn, she took out so much money and was so penalized over this. And I didn't know better right. without the certification. And, and again, she came to me after everything was done and just said, oh, this is what I need. So she didn't know either. So, um, yeah, that, so let, that's been, no, that, yeah. the tax ramification is huge. And, and I'd like to get to that. But I want to just kind of step back a bit here and not your story and all that. And like I've absorbed it and I see exactly why you're doing what you're doing. And I kind of knew a little bit of your story, but I wanted to make sure, you know, everybody else was able to kind of get in on that juicy conversation because that's the conversation that you have when you meet someone you don't necessarily have the opportunity to have. But 
So let's play a little bit of utopia here and see how we could create like an ideal holistic plan. Let's pretend like if you were to able to meet a woman at the very, very beginning of the divorce journey, maybe the conversation hasn't even come up yet between the two spouses and she is either getting an inkling from her spouse that something's brewing, whether it be they're not coming home at night or they're not answering their phone, or maybe there's been a little bit of evidence of misbehavior, or she's just generally feeling unsettled or unappreciated, or as we always hear, unhappy, unfulfilled. So if you were to get that woman at the very beginning of the journey, and she walked into your office and sat at your desk and maybe she was smiling, maybe she was crying, maybe she was, you know, deer in the headlight look like, ah, what is the first thing <laughs> you would do and how would you walk her through the process to best prepare her? Well, first and foremost, I would hone in on her, her support to make sure that she's, she has the support she needs. Um, I'm not going to say go run out and get an attorney because if they can do this in an amicable way, that is best, mm. um, you know, just to keep it clean. Um, her support, meaning does she have a therapist to get her through this? Like, obviously, uh, in the state of North Carolina, and, you know, every state is different, uh, you have to be separated for one year before you can get divorced. So that year is, and that uncertainty in that year makes people go crazy. Yeah. And it's really just not fair in my opinion, but it is. So um, having a therapist on their side, um, I typically ask what their coping skills are and like, what are they doing to get through some of this? Um, you know, so just, you know, outside of the financial world, I try to see, you know, what are their relationships with their family? Do they have family support through this? Like, you know, I try to understand mentally where they are first. And then as far as assets, uh, because obviously that's what I do. So it's kind of where I go. Um, I let them understand that the more prepared they are financially and knowing where things are, the less anxiety they're going to have through the process. Um, and not everybody knows what they have, but they know what they have. They might not know what their spouse has. So, um, you know, just I ask them for their tax return. That tells me a lot uh, and stuff that they don't typically know about. Um, you know, I ask them to grab me as, you know, any joint accounts or anything that they might have their name on to go to the financial advisor and at least ask for the information on that financial advisor can't per compliance give them all of the IRAs of the husband or anything that's solely in his name but anything that's joint they can they, they can find out what's there simply without the husband ever knowing that there's a feather ruffled right um you know so just really understanding what they can know obviously their emergency fund have they started that little nest egg that they're going to need through a lot of it um and, you know, that's really kind of the, just the basis. If they came into me just kind of having an inkling, I would tell them to just get prepared with emotional support and finding out what's, what's out there. 
right? Well, um, yeah, that, that, you know, it's tricky because some women, and I would say, I'm, I'm going to really suck at this percentage, but maybe half of women don't really know the financial picture. They really they have no idea. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, and they, they definitely don't. Yeah. Sorry, before we hone that, um, they definitely don't understand uh, the importance of the tax return there for somebody in my position. Um, this is a document that they are signing year after year with their name and their social security number on it that their husband just says sign here. They have no idea what they're signing off on sometimes, most of the time. Oh my God. You and just, you just, that was my, that was my marriage. Uh, it's terrifying. <laughs> I can laugh now, but yeah, I just, I, I, A, at the beginning didn't care because I don't know, I was apathetic. I hated money. I didn't really want to be bothered. Um, I was too busy. Um, I don't know, I was embarrassed to ask questions that I felt like I should know the answers to. And then after a while, it just got so convoluted as the tax return grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Are you with me? You know, the ones they have like those yeah, crazy absolutely. people that, that like are like lobster claws, you know, like what is that a paper clip or is that like a vice that you'd keep like a home together with? So <laughs> like it grew from like yeah. you know, four pieces of paper to 40 to 400. So I just grew um, disinterested, apathetic to literally terrified. So I really do understand where a lot of that women's um, apprehension comes from. But so do you see that? How many, yeah. how many women do you see really are in the dark and clueless? Most. 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 Why, yeah. Why is that? Why are, you know, I'm not finger pointing at our gender, but why are women so unaware of the grand scheme of the financial picture of their uh, marriage of their, because marriage is a business. It's a, it's a, it's a, a legal binding. That's what I think women don't get it. I had no clue. It was yeah. Like, Oh my God, like I trusted him. I trusted the process that everything, you know, would be fair and, and, you know, and whether I paid the bills or he paid the bills, I'm not picking on my marriage. I'm just giving you a, a snapshot of what I see every day. And I'm, I guess I'm looking for some feedback from you of like, is that reality or am I just living in Disney world? Well, I think it, um, each generation is a little bit different, right? So these older clients that are going through uh, the phase of what's called the gray divorce, the people that have been married 20, 30 years in their, you know, late 50s, 60s, even 70s, um, they're going through this divorce right now. Well, they grew up in a very different time. You know, they grew up in a time where, you know, the girls stayed in the kitchen with mom and baked cakes. And the guys went out and smoked stogies and fished and talked about the investment. And that, unfortunately, was kind of the beginning of the problem. Um, I think as we get older and divorce becomes clearer, you know, the millennials, I think, are getting a little bit more of a grip. The women are making as much and sometimes more than the men. They're realizing that they need to be on top of this. Yes, they do have a phase in their life, or I call season, where they're taking care of the kids, and they just don't have time for that. Right. But most of them are, are working now. 
you know, and it is a double income home. And uh, I guess my best advice for anybody is ask the questions, go to the appointment with your husband, go like, I get angry when I sit down with one of my uh, financial clients and the wife doesn't come. I'm like, no, 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 no. If something happens to you and I'm not even saying divorce, if he dies tomorrow, you're grieving. You don't want to figure this out. Like you need to know. So, you know, and that was what I would say to your listeners that are moving on with their life that are thinking about getting married again. In this second marriage, do things differently. Go to the tax appointments. Don't just let him take them. Ask the questions. Understand where the money is coming from. If he owns a business, understand the expenses. Just get in the know is honestly what I have to say there. Mm. That is brilliant advice. I love that particular where you said in this second marriage, because, you know, 60 something percent of second marriages also blow up in your face too. So, you know, you think, oh, I got rid of that first one. What a nightmare. I'm going to have a fresh start and a new life and start over. And then you fall in love, get remarried. And you're like, oh my God, I married another crazy person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think, um, I really do advise my, especially second marriage people to get prenups put in place. It is such an awkward conversation and so many people don't want to do it. And they think, well, I'm coming in with this amount and they're coming in with this amount. And it's not even like wanting to split things up for when it goes bad. It's making sure that you're both on the same page with what's going on financially. And a lot of times, if I say to my client, like, go get a prenup, and the guy is like, no chance, I'm like, you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Like, you know, like, go into this eyes wide open, because he's already not sharing information with you. Right. So, you know. More. If, if both parties are not 100% transparent about everything, every asset, where it is, who's it's with every debt, every liability that you have too. I mean, I see a lot of couples, you know, they've got assets, but they also have a lot of debt and they don't realize that, okay, the assets are great, but you're also responsible for the other person's debt. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you don't know. And is it, a, is it behavioral or is it like student loans or is it like I go shopping too much and it's credit card debt? Like mm. whether you're a guy or a girl or whatever, like you really got to be on the same page with what's going on. And is it something that you can accept? Right. Exactly. I know. Well, I've learned so much about the divorce financial um I guess, equation and picture um, over the last few years, particularly working with people. But I just recently learned about something and I wanted to ask you your opinion on it. Do you ever use um, an in-marriage quadro with a couple that is considering divorce or maybe not, maybe their marriage is just doing well, but they're trying to avoid some tax ramifications? What, and for those of you out there, you know, what is an in-marriage quadro and, and have you ever used it? What, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's, um, I have used it once. Uh, I'm not a, a big 
fan of it. Although, you know, sometimes if you can get, it, it depends, right? If this marriage is ending because of financial reasons, then maybe it is good to split up the finances, get yourself to a comfortable place and see if you can make things work taking that factor out. Mm. Like, I'm again, I'm a big proponent of staying married. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if that's the reason why they're doing it, then great. If they're just trying to take the money and run, mm. then, you know, I understand needing money to survive. And if that's the reason why they're doing it, that's fine. But, um, you know, I, I really think it comes down to what are their specific purposes for doing it. Mm. Um, otherwise, you know what, just, let's just leave things where they are once the divorce is final then, but you know, and then you split up the assets. I guess the reason why I did it the one time is like the couple knew that finances is what destroyed them. Mm. Um, he unfortunately was a gambler and she was just trying to hold on to dear life for what she had. Um, and it, it, it takes a full year to get divorced here. And she was terrified that he would gamble all the money away. Right. So in that situation, I felt like it was necessary, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not a super, super huge proponent of it unless there really are no other assets. Um, but, you know, non-qualified, it, it, a quadro is only used for 401ks. So if there's IRAs, non-qualified accounts, savings accounts, CDs, bonds, anything else that you can get by with, then I usually suggest that. Mm. Perfect. Um, no, it's good to get that clarification. It's always so interesting to hear different financial advisors give different um, takes on things. And I'm just curious, lastly, on your take on life insurance policies to back up obligations or life insurance policies on, shall we say, grandparents or somebody else to kind of back up that. You know, life insurance is a rather controversial subject sometimes with like the astronomical um, fees or annual, um, I forget what they're called. Premium. Thank you. I was like, what's that word? Yeah, premium. (laughs) The astronomical premiums that can accrue over the years when you when you look at when it's time to take out a life insurance policy, whether it's term or whole or the whole thing. But what what's your advice about do people ask you about life insurance policies and what's your suggestion about them? Um they do, some people, some people I suggest it to them. Um, I'm not a huge proponent of insurance, so I am a uh, advisory person. Only I don't do commission based. So if I'm going to put somebody in an annuity or life insurance, I work with another group to put them in place. I'm fully licensed for that, but it would be a conflict of interest for me to go tell a financial person like oh, I can't manage your money right now, but let's put you in a huge life insurance policy and I'm going to make a commission on it. I love that. That's a huge (laughs) no-no. Yeah. Huge Mm -hmm. no-no. So I, um, what I would suggest to people is a decreasing benefit term policy. So, and I really like to just put it in place for the alimony. So it's just to protect it. I use life insurance, whether you're divorcing or 
young with a family, I use it to protect income only. So if somebody is getting this huge, you know, alimony payment where that's going to stop if the husband or ex-husband passes, then you should be compensated for the amount that you were supposed to get. But as the years go by, say you're supposed to get it for the next eight to 10 years, it decreases on how much he owes you, which means I think that the amount that you're covered for should decrease, which means your premiums are going to decrease. And over time, that goes from really expensive to not that expensive anymore. Mm. So, good sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we're not, we don't want him to be worth more dead than alive, right? Because he already has a target on his back. Um, But we want to make sure that we're protecting our clients and making sure that, you know, anything that they're not putting towards that premium needs to go into investments and securing their future and taking care of themselves. Um, Also, I'm a big proponent in you owning the life insurance policy and it being paid through you, owned by you as, you know, making sure that the premiums being paid are on him because if you, if he stops paying on it, you'll never know something happens to him. You have no control. So just making sure that it's on his life, but owned by you paid by you and worked out in the alimony payments that it's technically getting paid from him, but you're in control of paying that. Yeah, that is great advice. I did not get that advice. I had the the judge insisted on a life insurance policy that he take one out and that he pay it. And of course, it was paid for the first year, and then it was not renewed. Um, so well, you see that more than more yeah. than not. So I, I like making sure that I want my clients to have control of that. It's control of their money. It's control of their destiny, and and that is the education I like to throw out there to say like. This is you. You got to make sure he doesn't die, but you need to take care of this. Yeah, brilliant. So, just kind of in closing, what's the biggest mistake you see that couples make with regards to handling their children? That's a hard one. I know. That's why it is such an open, open question. Um, Well, I guess more zoning in on. The finances too. I don't just mean, you know, um, the the typical. But if you if you see, you know, a couple and they come to you for financial advice and they you, they are divorcing, do you see any patterns with financial mistakes with the kids? Yeah, I have seen in a lot of the settlements, five twenty nines, and who's paying for college sometimes isn't even discussed. Mm. Um, you know, that's again, when they come to me with the divorce being finalized and, you know, I can't help them at that point. Right. Um, I like them to talk about who's paying for the education, um, down here in the South. Uh, and you know, I'm not even truly South, but in, in North and South Carolina, the public schools aren't great. Uh, so more and more people are going to private schools. And I kid you not, they're just as expensive as college. Yeah. And, you know, it's being discussed what's happening. Like, you know, dad's going to pay for private school till 12th grade. They're just not talking about college. 
Yeah. So I see that as being a mistake. Um, the financially responsible one should be the owner of those. So again, being a product of divorce, um, my parents had 529s in place for us and my dad cashed them in and bought snowmobiles to play with. <laughs> and then when it was time for me to go to college, he told me that it was stupid and I was on my own because he thought college was a waste of time. Mm. So, you know, making sure that the owner is the responsible party. Um, you know, and, and what, I'm sorry. No, I said, I see that too. So it's, uh, you know, and, and I think I, I mean, my biggest mis you know, what I see the pattern is the, um, just sort of trusting that, um, the money will be there and that it won't be misappropriated. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Maybe, and, and maybe it's used for educational purposes that aren't really educational. <laughs> Cause I know that <laughs> the law is a little, sh not shady, but gray, shall we say about what actually constitutes the definition of education, whether it be university, mm -hmm. college, a trade school, a, a, a CEU, a, like a real estate course, or you get the idea of it, you know, and yeah. how, how gray is that area? I think it used to be very vague or, or is it opposite? It was very vague. Now it's clearer. I'm not really sure, but, um, and, and yeah. is it true that it depends on the institution that you set up the 529 with, or is it more that it's a state regulated um, entity? Um, they've changed a lot and evolved a lot over the years. And, you know, back in the day, it used to be for that specific school. Uh, and then they went to that specific state. And now it's just wide open. Right. Um, it's wide open. Every state offers something a little bit different, though. So understanding and maybe doing, you know, sometimes a lot of financial advisors don't always understand that. But for example, we have a lot of physicians as clients and the Alaskan 529 has protection that if they were sued in their male practice, they can't touch the 529. Mm. So like there's just different states are doing different things. If you live in some states, uh, they're tax deductible for their contributions. For some, there aren't. Um, so it's just really kind of knowing which 529 is best for you, mm -hmm. uh, is kind of important these days because they really are, uh, changing and evolving because people just weren't using them as much anymore. So, uh, they're trying to find like their special niche on what makes them great. Um, but there is no 529 police and people are using them for, all sorts of stuff. Um, they are, they're starting to hone in a little bit though, and really what qualifies and what doesn't. Like you can't use them for food and uh, clothing and different things that you want to be able to help your child if they truly are in college for. Um, so, you know, and, and they can do food up until like the, pr the price of what their meal plan would have been. And right. it doesn't cover housing but it would cover as much as like how much a dorm would be. So like there's definitely gray areas there, but you know, you can't be at the Taj Mahal living it up and taking out your 529s for it. Right. Um, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, there's, 
all sorts of rules around it. <laughs> that is the quote of the day, my dear. There is no 529 police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no divorce police either. Uh, I mean, part of me <laughs> part of me thinks that sucks. So and lastly, like I love the fact that I didn't even know that you had this yoga meditation background, but I think you know I do. So I just see that as karma and kismet and synchronicity and call it what you will. But how has your journey or stumbling into the world of yoga and meditation affected your ability to become a better financial advisor? Hmm. I mean, it's just changed me as a whole uh, in general, but I would say, you know, as you know, meditating, it, it takes away the worry and the anxiety. Um, it kind of helps you feeling less like you're walking in circles in a room and it helps me be more productive, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that I can keep keep my task list together to make sure that I'm doing as much as needed from me in a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and just really trying to be this calm person for them to help steer their ship and make sure that they're making the right decisions, I think is huge. Um, so I would say that that's kind of what makes me uh, a good advisor. The other thing that makes me a little bit different, um, I didn't really bring this up, but my mother and my husband's father both passed away at age 57. Mm -hmm. So they didn't see retirement. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and that was one of the reasons why we both moved to Costa Rica. It was, you know, retirement is not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. uh, things are about to get pretty darn hard here for a while. And instead of burning the candle at both ends, let's go take a break. Mm -hmm. um, so as a financial advisor, I feel like I help people with balance a lot more. And that has really come from my yoga practice. Everything is balanced for me. Mm -hmm. um, so helping them understand that you know most financial advisors are like max out your savings and you can be putting nineteen thousand five hundred dollars per year into your 401k or twenty six thousand if you're over 50 and you need to be maxing out everything to make retirement look better for you and you need to have 1.5 million dollars in accounts before you can retire or you know like I've heard people come to me with like well I was told that I need this to retire um, I'm a big proponent on everything is about balance like you need to enjoy today just as much as you would enjoy retirement and if every single penny of going into savings is making you not enjoy the now then I, I have an issue with that mm. I do and you know everybody's life is different like as they always say there's no judgment on this mat because everybody's day everybody's life everybody's body is totally different there is not a one-size-fits-all for finance either and I tell people like hey if you want to retire tomorrow that's fine 
but it's going to look different for you. And we'll sit down and look at what you can spend. And if you can spend that, that's fine. I had a guy say it to me the other day. I want to retire. Okay, well, let's look and see. You can only spend $30,000 per year for the rest of your life. Can you live on that? And he was like, no. <laughs> I said, no, and you certainly can't do that when your health care starts getting really expensive and you're older and you're sick. So, you know, are you going to go back to work? And yep, yeah, I sure am. Okay. But make sure that you're loving every day and living for the now. Mm-hmm. So retirement is not guaranteed. And unfortunately, um, it, that's the unfortunate truth of it. We only have the now. And I'm not saying go spend every money and have fun and enjoy it. There is a balance. You can be saving a certain amount. You can be spending a certain amount and making sure that there is a comfortable, balanced feel to all of that. Well, I could not end on a better note, my dear. What is the best way for people to reach you, follow you, or work with you? So I have um, two businesses, but I guess through my divorce business would be best. Uh, I do have an advisory business, but obviously I'm checking both emails all the time. Um, My email address is barbara at belldivorceadvisors.com. That's my website too, belldivorceadvisors.com. And then, so just find me there, but I also work for a company called Canon Advisors here in Charlotte. Um, And that's Barbara at canonadvisors.com as well. So you can find me at both places. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really have been wanting to get you here to shed some light on the journey of finance, divorce, and keeping your head screwed on tight because we know it can be a bumpy (laughs) ride and it doesn't need to be quite as dramatic and traumatic as people make it out to be. Staying balanced, I really think is the key. You could not have nailed that better, my dear. Yes. Thank you so much. And just having a plan, right? There's not as much panic when there's a plan in in place and finances are the first place to start on that. Right. Well, you heard it from the expert, everybody. So have a plan and reach out to me. You know how to find me. Reach out to Barbara if you want expert financial advice from an experienced, uh, warm-hearted, lovely soul. And uh, keep thriving thriving in the chaos. (laughs) Thank you so much, Paula. I appreciate your time. Oh, my God. You were awesome. Did you have fun? Yes, I do. So I'm going to edit it. If you don't mind sending your photograph along and your bio, I'll get that all written up. And I think it will, it'll either be next week or the week after. I'm usually like two weeks out. Okay. Did I do okay? Are you kidding me? You're a rock star. You're so fabulous. Especially when you just like, when you just like rolled and you just became you and you were like, you totally forgot that you were... 